What is up, everyone? Welcome back to The Awakened Catholic Show. I am your host, Nick Dillatory. We have an awesome episode coming up for you today, an episode that I have been very excited about for a long time with our guest, Edita Krunich, who is the president of Select International Tours. That's coming up right after this. Have you ever dreamed of visiting Paris in the fall? Seeing the beautiful Eiffel Tower lit up by a sunset, visiting and venerating holy locations of the Sister Saints of France in Lisieux, Paris, Lourdes, and more. This fall 2021, join Select International Tours with Claire Swinarski and Catherine Whitaker, along with a host of other powerful Catholic women on a once-in-a-lifetime Seine River cruise pilgrimage in France. Join our friends at Select International Tours and Cruises with over 34 years of experience. They are the perfect company to help you experience pilgrimage. To learn more, visit selectinternationaltours.com slash awaken. Bon voyage! This show and all of the shows here on the Awaken Catholic platform are made possible by people like you. Yes, it is people like you who, for as cheaply as the price of a cup of coffee a week uh, or, or, or more, you know, if that's your thing, uh, by making a monthly contribution and joining the Awaken Nation, you can be a part of the reason all of this is possible. Additionally, we have a brand new app that we are so excited to have launched, and we're really excited for you, yes, you, to download it. Visit theawakenapp.io to download the app. There are some amazing community features. You can interact with each other. You can interact with the show hosts. It's the best way to consume Awakened Catholic content like this show. And so much more, including some exclusive live streams. So check out theawakenapp.io on your mobile device or just search for Awaken Catholic on your app store, whether it's the Apple App Store or the Google Play Store. So ladies and gentlemen, I could not be more excited to welcome today's guest, Edita Krunich, who is the president of Select International Tours. Am I getting your last name right? You absolutely got that right. Oh. Thank you for pronouncing it correctly. Most people don't, but that's fine. It's yeah. Krunich. Well, I, I pride myself in pronouncing names and just words in general w correctly because uh, I am actually bilingual. I speak Spanish, but I also, in my uh, you know love eclectic love of music, there are a lot of like European um, bands and musicians that I've been really into. And I remember like I was on an airplane one time and I, I heard this family speaking Romanian, and I I don't speak Romanian, but I knew it was Romanian because of the Romanian music that I would listen to. So I literally yeah. just started speaking to them the lyrics of one of the songs that I knew. I didn't know what the words meant, but they seemed to love it. So, <laughs> Well, they probably loved the fact that you had interest in Romanian music. You can't find too many people who are interested in that kind of music, so that's great. Fair enough. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty diverse in terms of the things that I, I find um, to be awesome. But anyways, today we're here to talk about not my passion for linguistics, but you <laughs> and your amazing work. Um, so why don't you just kind of introduce yourself for us? So um, my name is Edita Krunich, as you correctly said. I was born actually in Bosnia, and uh, Bosnia is, is known to people because that is where Medjugorje is located. And as most people are aware, the Blessed Mother has chosen to appear in Medjugorje for many, many years now. And many people have been there on a pilgrimage, so people are familiar with Bosnia and with Medjugorje 
because of that reason, we also had a very bloody civil war because we used to have a country called Yugoslavia uh -huh. that no longer exists. It is now six different states, but I was born in Yugoslavia. Oh, wow. And I, yeah, and I, uh, so Yugoslavia and then the Republic was Bosnia, which is in the center of the country, the heart of the country. And my parents and I immigrated to the United States when I was 11 years old. And I am very grateful to my parents for making that decision because this country has provided me with opportunities that I would have never had living back in Bosnia. Mm. And I was educated here. I grew up here. I went to uh, university. And then uh, in 1987, uh, I went back to Medjugorje. And my life was changed. And I believe it was through the intercession of the Blessed Mother. Um, I decided then to leave the job where I was working, to change my careers completely, and to start Select International Tours, a pilgrimage company. We were the first pilgrimage company that sent pilgrims to Medjugorje. This was way back in 1987, and things were very different then. But it was a calling that I had, um, and you know, one day uh, when we when we're together, I'll tell you that story. But but right now, just it suffice to say that. Um, my life has been dedicated to organizing pilgrimage travel and sending people on pilgrimages where we hope that they their faith will be enriched and that they will meet the Lord um, in a very personal way um, and that they will also get to know the saints in a much more connected way than they can when they're at home um, and praying and reading books and learning about the lives of saints. Because when you are in a place like Assisi, for instance, where St. Francis lived um, and where he worked, you really feel the presence um, of, of St. Francis and St. Clair. You feel connected to them and all the things that you've known about them and their lives and how it relates to you and your life and your faith it, it really starts speaking to you in a much more profound way. And we realize, and we've known a long time actually, but we realize every time we talk to a pilgrim, how much their faith is impacted by going on a pilgrimage. So very briefly, that's my life. I run a pilgrimage tour company called Select International Tours and Cruises. I also started a foundation called Select to Give in, uh, 19, in 2013. And the foundation helps Christians of the Holy Land mm. uh, stay in Holy Land, which is really important because yeah. we, we never want to think of uh, Holy Land without any Christians living in it. And that is uh, my true passion. It's That's really beautiful. Helpful. And I want to I want to dive into a lot of uh, select to give, and there's there's so much happening in select to give that um, right. I want to get into with you. But uh, I'm going to save that for a little bit later in the show. Um, so so you moved here when you were 11, and you had, um, if I understand correctly, you had a powerful experience in Medjugorje, and that prompted you to want to bring other people into that type of experience, which was what kind of became the impetus for you to begin this business. Is that correct? That is correct. I was working at the time for an airline, an international airline, and we started getting phone calls from pilgrims. I was a sales manager for the airline, and pilgrims were calling and asking about this little village in southern Bosnia of, of what was former Yugoslavia uh, and, and where the Blessed Mother was appearing. Now, Yugoslavia used to be a communist country, so our bosses at the airline 
were not really looking favorably um, uh, for pilgrims going to Yugoslavia because it was religious and they really didn't want anything to do with religion. Mm. Uh, so they discouraged the sales staff, uh, my staff and myself, from promoting travel to Medjugorje. And I just didn't feel right about that. I was raised in a, a Christian family. It was uh, Faith was always important to us. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go there and see what this is all about. I need to learn about Medjugorje on my own. So at the time, I was engaged to be married. And uh, my fiancé and I decided to, I was there on vacation. We decided to visit Medjugorje. We drove two and a half hours. It's a little village in the middle of nowhere. The Blessed Mother always chooses these remote places to mm -hmm. appear in and which makes it difficult for pilgrimage companies to send pilgrims there because it's never in any main city right. where there's not a <laughs> hotel you know it's always remote where there are no roads mm -hmm. uh, but we went there and we did not plan this nick okay? but i am convinced the blessed mother planned this for me because we were there on the feast of assumption okay? oh wow uh, we just decided, hey, you know, it's Tuesday and let's go up to Medjugorje. So we get into the car, we drive for two and a half hours, we get to Medjugorje. Now, this is in 1986. So um, we arrive and this little village, middle of nowhere, where no one speaks English, is full of Irish and Italian and French pilgrims. No Americans, but pilgrim, European pilgrims coming. And I was just astounded by the energy there, the atmosphere, this feeling of, of, of hope and faith and prayer and fellowship. And I, I just kept walking around talking to people. And at the end of the day, we were there the, the entire day. We celebrated mass. We talked to a lot of people. We climbed Apparition Hill and uh, the Holy Cross Hill. And at the end of the day, as we were driving back to the place where we were staying, uh, my fiance said, you're very quiet. And I said, I have never experienced anything like this. Mm. I'm just, I just don't know how to process this. Mm. Um, I said, I'm, I feel like I'm shaken to the core. And so to make a long story short, I broke off my engagement. Oh. <laughs> I went back home. I quit my job uh, at the airline and with no money and, and no experience in being a company owner running a business, I started Select International Tours. I felt that I was called to do this. Mm. And I, I feel that the Blessed Mother, through her intercession, I was there on the Feast of the Assumption. And this is something that was meant for me to do. And wow. running a pilgrimage company is very, very, very rewarding because we meet wonderful people. And so many people tell us stories that are similar to mine, mm -hmm. that I can really relate to people's stories and how a pilgrimage impacts their lives. But it also has a lot of challenges, uh, more so than many challenges that other uh, tour operators who are in the traditional tourism business face. Uh, face. So I think that uh, we have hurdles in, in the pilgrimage industry. We always have hurdles placed in front of us and it's an uphill climb, but ultimately it's like our faith, we overcome. Yeah. So I, I'm very, very, very grateful. I'm very, I feel like I'm very blessed. And that's one of the reasons I started Select to Give. And I feel that the Blessed Mother it was working um, in my life at that time and has continued to be present and has continued to guide me um, on my way ever since then.
I got to say your your story uh really the origin both of the the company of Select International Tours but also uh, you know for you as a person like the profound impact that had on your faith uh what you experienced there at Medjugorje it cannot be overstated how important those stories are from from people um because you know, there's different types of information and evidence in the world for different truths, right? Like, you know, uh, even mathematical principles that, you know, two plus two equals four. That's a fun fact. Great. And it helps us understand technology, helps us understand science. You know, there's so right. much like that. But but people's experiences of, of uh, life-changing, profound uh, encounters um, – the experience that they have is a truth that that we cannot disregard. Um, you know, I, I think about my relationship with my parents. I don't know my parents love me because they've told me, and it's information that I've received, you know, verbally, although they have told me. I know that they love me because of my experience of their love. And in a similar way, you know, for me, uh, in my past, I've struggled with faith. I, I used to be an agnostic slash atheist walking that line for a little while and um there are things in things that i have experienced uh in my journey back home to faith and to truth and, and to love um uh, to purpose there are things i've experienced that i cannot deny and that fundamentally i can fall back on re recalling um that that root me you know that that really create a, a concrete uh foundation for um, any intellectual struggles that I might have or whatever. And, you know, even with something like Medjugorje, where there's some contention amongst some of the church about, is this valid? Is it not valid? You know, the bigger question is, what are the fruits? And in, in, your, in your life, there are fruits that cannot be denied. In my life, if someone, if someone wants to challenge me, like, why do you believe in God? It's like, oh my gosh. I couldn't possibly, I can't explain to you why I know that my parents love me without just explaining to you the experiences that I've had that have led me to know that or believe that. And in a similar way, I know that there is a God because I have experienced him and his love and his powerful uh, mercy and, and grace. I mean, really powerful, uh, miraculous things that have happened in me as a person that just don't make sense. And, and those experiences are so huge. And I can attest to the, the validity and, and the, and the uh, value of, of what a pilgrimage can offer uh, in those types of experiences that really can become bedrocks for your faith. You know, um, I myself got to go on a pilgrimage uh, in Europe uh, some time ago. I got to visit Spain and um, Portugal and France. And there were some key places that I went that were very um, – very powerful for me. One of those was Fatima, uh, Portugal. Like Fatima, oh my goodness. I, ever since I came back to the church and back to faith, Fatima was always something that for me, there was power in those stories, um, in the story of what happened there. And uh, my wife and I, who, my wife who is a convert from Protestantism, um, like we always really, really loved the story of what happened at Fatima. And when I had the opportunity to go there, and just be entrenched. Like I visited the bedrooms of the children. I visited the, the sites where the Holy Mother appeared to the children. And I just, man, the power in those moments where I was there and surrounded by the setting in which these things took place. Um, and, and to be a part of the prayer vigils, 
that took place from all of the pilgrims, you know, the thousands of people that would just flood into these uh, places in this day and age to, to be engulfed in those stories and, and be where these things happened. There's a power there that cannot be denied. Um, you know, unless you're going into something like that with a very hardened heart and, and, and a, a posture of, oh, this is just, you know, I don't know why I'm being forced to be here or whatever. Like, unless that's where you're coming from, you cannot go into these experiences and not be transformed. You cannot be, go into these experiences and not be impacted on some level uh, in a way that becomes foundational. Because what we know as human beings is experience. And those experiences are like no other. So I, I love yeah. your story for that reason. Yeah, I completely relate to what you're saying because, you know, I grew up in a Christian family. And for my one of the reasons that my parents immigrated from Yugoslavia was because my parents were people of faith. We were Christian and living in a communist country, you could not faith, you could not practice your faith. Mm. So I was I was christened, um, but many families uh, could not christen their children. Uh, because that was just not allowed. And if you were not a member of the Communist Party, you couldn't advance. But to be a member of the Communist Party, you had to give up your faith. You couldn't celebrate Christmas. You couldn't celebrate Easter. You couldn't go to service. You couldn't uh, christen or baptize your children. So my parents decided this was not something that was for them, and they didn't want to bring up their children in such a way. So they uh, applied for a visa and came to the United States. And um, I, again, I'm very, very blessed and, and very grateful to them for making this decision. It wasn't an easy decision to leave their parents, their families, their friends. They, 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 you know, they had good jobs, but they did it because they wanted their children to grow up in freedom and, and freedom of all types of freedom, you know, for, uh, democratic uh, living in a democracy, but also the ability to practice our faith. And when you go back to a country where there are restrictions on practicing the faith, as I went back to Yugoslavia, and then you find this 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 little a piece of uh, this little village, you know, this little place where the Blessed Mother has chosen to appear because she chooses to appear in certain places. There's a real strong message just in the fact that she has chosen this place, this little remote village in a communist country to appear and to bring people from all over the world. Right? So what yeah. happened to Yugoslavia? What happened? The Yugoslavia disintegrated. It was a bloody civil war, right? but now it is a democracy. The Yugoslavia no longer exists. You have these six separate countries. And then you have this one country called Bosnia, where Medjugorje is located, where people are free to practice their faith. And you have Muslims living there, you have Orthodox people living there, and you have Catholics living there. And they are coexisting. It mm. wasn't always possible, right? but they have managed to reconcile. And they are all allowed to live as they feel is the best way for them, not because government is imposing it, but because this is something they feel that the right path for them. And that path is guided by faith. And so for coming from that area, you know, you start really appreciating how important it is to know these places. Right? And oftentimes they are not easy to get to because pilgrimage is not, it's not a comfort trip. Mm -hmm. yeah. we, we work real hard on making the pilgrims comfortable, 
Now, when they're flying on these long flights overseas, it's an overnight flight and the flights are cramped and you want everybody to be you know, comfortable because they want, they generally hit the ground running. And they stay in nice hotels, they eat in good restaurants, the food is delicious. It's all about comfort because we're used to comfort, especially in the US. We're very used to living a very comfortable life. But a true pilgrimage is not about comfort. It is about acceptance. Mm. And it is about difficulty. And it is about learning to overcome. And just trusting that everything is going to work out because we're putting our faith in the Lord and Mm -hmm. we're being guided on this pilgrimage. And if things don't work out perfectly, well, that's okay. okay? Because life is not perfect. You know, we, we need to accept that. And we try to tell people this. It's it's hard. You know, they're paying a lot of money to go on a pilgrimage. We always want them to have a top quality experience. But the entire nature of pilgrimage is not a luxury trip. I mean, they're not going on a luxury trip. And we, we want them to understand that. They're going on a, on, a, on a trip of faith and prayer and hope. And we always encounter difficulties on that. Yeah, amen. That's absolutely right. I'm the the one experience I've had of a pilgrimage uh, to that effect. It was it was like that. Now, one of one of the many uh, challenges that we faced on our pilgrimage was that we had a bunch of high school students with us because uh, that's I was a youth minister at the time. That was that was its own penance. Um, but uh, no, yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, some of the other places I got to visit, um, also very Marian in nature, you know, uh, Our Lady of Lords, like that was powerful. Um, I, I got, I had the opportunity to lead worship for, uh, lead the music for a, a mass that we were celebrating privately in the crypt of the Our Lady of Lords uh, Basilica. Um, uh, and it was a private mass and there was, you know, 30-ish of us. And about, by about halfway through the mass, the, the entire crypt was filled with pilgrims um, that were all participating in our little private mass. <laughs> it was incredible. Um, and it was, I mean, there are just so many powerful uh, memories I have that are just such uh, very real encounters with the divine, with, with um, you know, a- evidence from an experiential standpoint that there is something more. And, and I don't know how else to say that. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, one of the things that, you know, one of the things that pilgrims, especially going to the Holy Land, experience is a profound moment when they have a connection um, with the Holy Spirit. And um, I always say it's our wow moment. Mm. And it happens to every single pilgrim going to the Holy Land. And I have to tell you a story because I've been to Holy Land so many times, at least I think 25, 26 times, um, or more than that actually. But um, I was on a pilgrimage uh, about uh, six, seven years ago with a very large group. And whenever I go, now I know what to expect. So I'm always expecting my aha moment or my wow moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you, you just you, you just feel the Holy Spirit overcome you. It's very powerful. You, you start shaking, you start crying. And so this, I was on this pilgrimage with, you know, we had four buses and I was very concerned about everything going well and everything being coordinated perfectly and so on. 
So we are now uh, celebrating our last mass, the last day of the pilgrimage. We're getting ready to go to the airport. And I am standing in the back of uh, Ein, the, the church at Ein Karem. That is the uh, place where St. John the Baptist was born. And um, there's a little grotto there that you can, you know, we, we, we venerate. And after, after we went to the grotto um, and, and lit candles and, and said a prayer, we celebrated mass. And I'm standing in the back of the church thinking, wow, on this trip, I didn't have my wow moment. Mm -hmm. I didn't feel that strong connection with the Holy Spirit that I generally felt when I went on a pilgrimage. And I and I thought to myself, I wonder what why that was, but that's okay. That's all right. I just hope that everybody else had this moment, everybody had this time, and that the Holy Spirit was was present and and, and was just, you know, giving us his love. And about 15 minutes later, I just start crying. The tears just start coming out. Right? And I'm here, and I don't know what's happening. So now, like, I'm a little uncomfortable because I'm surrounded by 200 people, yeah. and and going, <gasps> and everybody's turning around to look at me, and I just can't stop. Yeah. yeah. And, and so the women next to me, you know, the pilgrims, they start hugging me, and so on. And I, it was so incredible because it was my moment at the mm. very end of the pilgrimage. I just needed to be patient because it doesn't come when I want it to come. Mm. You can't call it. You yeah, know, you can attract it. Yeah. It comes when it should. You know? yeah. <laughs> and, and that was such a learning experience for me, Nick, because that taught me that in my life, things will happen when the Lord wants them to happen. Mm. Not when I want it to happen, not when I'm praying, not when I'm calling it, not when I'm wishing it and attracting it. It will happen when it should because that is what God has in store for me. Right? Mm. So it's learned, it, it's that experience from that particular pilgrimage has taught me to be patient and be accepting. And things will happen as they should, yeah. as they're meant to be. You know, it is a, it, it is a much bigger and stronger mm -hmm. power than anything that I can wish or call into my life. And so, yeah. and I think it's a powerful lesson for people who go on pilgrimage, but it's a powerful lesson for people everywhere. Yeah. Okay? It's like, just trust. Yeah. Okay? Just believe. Yeah. Okay? Surrender. Yeah. 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 The, the two things come to mind for me from that. One, just last night I was uh, leading music for a mass uh, here locally. And, um, you know, sometimes what you're describing doesn't just come in God's time and not when you want it, but sometimes it comes in moments where you're like, why now, God, please not now. <laughs> uh, you know, last night I was leading music at mass and uh, it was during communion. I just received the Lord in the Eucharist and I, I was starting to lead this song and I'm even getting a little bit choked up right now. Remembering this, I was, you know, I generally can be emotionally detached enough that I'm able to functionally get through an entire mass and not, you know, break down. Um, but I just started leading this song and the words in the song started ministering to my heart and the Lord was ministering to my heart through this song as yeah. I was leading it. And I was like wrestling like crazy with my own like heart to not 
breakdown and be able to like get through entire lines of of lyrics because it was literally like i would get so choked up that i was having a hard time finishing words and i was trying so i don't know if people picked up on it or not but it's also like i don't want to be a distraction from other people's prayers right now you know but um but it's like man the lord the lord is going to hit you when he wants to hit you and and i needed Absolutely. i needed Absolutely. the ministry that he did for me in that moment i i needed that um and and then the other thing that that made me think about because you used an interesting word uh when you were describing like the the alternative right that that it's not about us uh, when we're attracting things or whatever. And and that made me think about the very new age, you know, the, the law of attraction. Absolutely, yes. And and really that fundamentally is not a new idea. It's 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 kind of a new package for the same idea that is us being our own gods. It's us being in control and, and kind of not acknowledging the need to surrender control to the Lord. Um and it's it's the age old uh sin that we that we fall into out of and a lot of that is out of a fear like that we don't believe that god loves us enough to take care of us the way that we think we need to be taken care of um so yeah i just thought that was really interesting the way that you said that because you know that was one of my um one of the last pegs of faith that i had right before i went full agnostic atheist was the new age movement and now that's kind of where i was like you know what none of this stuff is true so i just left faith See, altogether because we talk about that a lot we talk about attracting things into our life by our thoughts or our actions yeah. and this this ent uh, entire aura that we have around us and so you hear it all the time and it starts becoming part of our reality but that is absolutely not true right? yeah. you don't attract things into your life you believe you know you and, and one if you believe and we you know, it just comes. And I had a hard, uh, because I tend to be a bit of a control freak. Mm -hmm. So I like not controlling things. And being in my in the business that I'm in, you know, control is important in yeah. some way because you want to be able to control what happens on a pilgrimage because there's so many moving parts and we're concerned about things just being coordinated perfectly so that the pilgrims have the best experience. But in so many ways, once I give up that control, things fall into place. And it took me a very long time to learn that. But it wasn't just about learning it. It was about mm -hmm. accepting it. And, and so, you know, once you realize that it's going to be okay. And one of the things that I have learned to live with is, Jesus, I trust in you. It's mm -hmm. such a powerful message. Yeah. It's a very Eastern prayer, too. It is, it, of course it is. A and lot of people here in the West have adopted that, but it's a very beautiful Eastern practice to say the Jesus Eastern, prayer. It's an Eastern prayer. And if we just pray that, Jesus, I trust in you, things work out. You know, yeah. They always work out. Yeah, I want to correct myself. I was mis I was misconstruing that in that moment with the Jesus prayer, which is Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. That is a very Eastern prayer. Um, but, but but also, you know, it's, it's divine mercy. And yes, it's, absolutely. Know, the trust that we have in Jesus, and I think that it. Well, you know, it's, it, it it is definitely if you geographically, it's Eastern. Sure, absolutely. Um, We're gonna go with that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that uh, helping me not be an error there. You. Yeah, you. 
You know you've always wanted to go to Paris. Well, now's your chance. If you go with Select International Tours, the sponsor of today's Awaken Catholic Show episode, you can join Claire Swinarski from the Catholic Feminist Podcast, as well as author and speaker Catherine Whitaker, along with a host of other powerful Catholic women on a once-in-a-lifetime Seine River Cruise pilgrimage in France. Visit and venerate the Sister Saints of France in Lisieux, Paris, Lourdes, and more. Sacre bleu! Learn more by visiting selectinternationaltours.com slash awaken. All right. Adita, I'm going to hit you with the Kerygma speed round, okay? All right. Question number one. Who is Jesus to you? I think Emmanuel. You know, God Mm. is with me. God is with me all the time, no matter if I'm at uh, service, at liturgy, uh, if I'm at work. Um, you know, the God, the God that I have loved and accepted yeah. is within me and he guides me in everything. That's beautiful. I love that. It's so amazing to me. It's 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 a question that when I, when I had the idea to ask that of each of my guests, I'm like, there's no way I'm going to get answers that vary that much. But every single time I'm like, oh, man, that is such a beautiful answer. Like just by asking my guests that one question, I feel like I come a little bit closer to God each time. I love that. Emmanuel, God is with me. God is with us. I love that. Uh, okay, question number two. What is your elevator pitch for a life with him? Uh I've learned because I work with a lot of different people um, and people who trust us with their travel plans, with their pilgrimage plans. I've learned to say, what would Jesus do? What mm. would When I have a hard decision to make, uh, when I have a decision to make that, I'm, that confuses me, I pray, okay, what would Jesus do? Okay. And I go back to the, the the scriptures and the Bible, and I remember all the lessons that, that are there, you know, the manuscript of how we should live our lives. And, yeah. and being in the Holy Land, this is what you're immersed in this. So I think about that, and I say, well, okay, I know what I would do as a business person, right? But what is the right thing to do? What would Jesus do here? Mm. And 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 so my staff has uh, always says to me when I you know they say what do you think about this and I'll make a decision and then they'll say, is this what Jesus would do? <laughs> <laughs> so so it, it's something we have going back and forth. But yeah, that is uh, you know elevator pitch is you know we're all we, there's so much going on and we get confused and we don't know what the right answer is what the right decision is. It's pretty simple. Mm. What would Jesus do if if he was in our position? And we know the answers to that. Wow. So it's almost like it's like a behavioral anchor in a sense. Oh, it is. Absolutely. That's beautiful. I like that a lot. All right. Now, my third question, I'm going to switch up a little bit. So normally I ask uh, our guest or my guest, um, uh, what's your elevator pitch for life as a Catholic? But you uniquely, Adita, are are actually not uh, a Roman Catholic. You're an Orthodox Christian. Uh, so why don't you tell us a little bit about that and why you love being Orthodox? Well, yes, I am Orthodox. Uh, first of all, I'm Christian. Uh, and then second, I'm Orthodox. And I mm-hmm. think that's really important. And one of the things that uh, a trip to the Holy Land, I keep referring that because it's so profoundly life-changing, a trip to mm-hmm. the Holy Land. Um, people who go to the Holy Land realize that um, you know, the Christians used to be the majority of the population. I mean, we are in in the land where Jesus was born, where our faith started. 
And now they're about two and a half percent of the population. So you 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 start thinking about, you know, how you have the Protestants and you have the Catholics and you have the Orthodox and you're only two and a half percent of the population. So when you're talking to a Christian from the Holy Land, they never say that they're Catholic or that they're Orthodox or they're Protestant. They just say, I'm, I'm Christian. Mm. And I think that's most important that we are Christians. We could be Christians of different denominations, but we all believe pretty much the same thing. I mean, there are differences, there are theological differences, mm-hmm. but we all believe in Christ yeah. you know, as our Savior. Um, so that is something that really is most important in my life. And I was born as an Orthodox Christian, um, uh, and, and um, my family has... Uh, has been a, you know, faith has been instrumental in life decisions for them because they left their homeland, as I said, not because of economic reasons, but because of the ability to practice faith. And they wanted their kids to grow up in um, in a Christian country, which Yugoslavia was not at the time that they lived there. So for me, being an Orthodox is uh, very, it, it's part of my fabric. It's who I am. It's a Christian, you know, being a Christian Orthodox, raising my children in the faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Orthodoxy is very traditional faith. It doesn't change according to um you know, modern times and modern rules. It doesn't, uh, and some people actually fault it for that. Uh, but for me, I'm a traditionalist and I I really appreciate that. Mm. I, appreciate, I appreciate the fact that the faith hasn't really modernized, mm. uh, you know, to be more attractive to people. Uh, it has pretty much stayed uh, the same for the last 2000 years or more. And, um, you know, when I go to liturgy, which is two, two and a half hours, when I when we celebrate divine liturgy, it is, it's a commitment. You know, it's, it's not, um, it's not to be taken very lightly. It's a commitment of time, a big commitment of time in today's busy world. Mm-hmm. And if you have kids, especially if you have young children, uh, imagine, you know, two and a half hours. Yeah, <laughs> It's a big commitment, but it also teaches the kids right from the early age that religion is not a matter of convenience. Yes, it's it's a matter of true commitment, and it's yeah. it, through that commitment we learn to be committed to 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 God and to our faith, and then to our family and to our calling in life. And I think it's really important that kids are taught that. So I agree. We were talking offline before we started the uh, the actual episode. Um, I find so beautiful uh, about the Eastern rites and and the Orthodox uh, Church that there isn't this sense towards the liturgy or or the mass, as it's widely known here. Um, There isn't this sense of, like, let's get in and out as quickly as possible. Let's do the bare minimum, make sure it's under 60 minutes. You know, like there is a a reverence uh, that I think is very proper to the mass, to the liturgy. you know, like if if the mass or the, the sacred liturgy is um, an encounter and an intermeshing uh, between heaven and earth, if it's us receiving the body and blood of the Lord and, and receiving the words of, of the sacred scriptures, um, the word of God, like if, if it's all of those things, it shouldn't be treated like, 
let's knock this out as quickly as possible and get back to real life, you know? Um, so I find that to be very beautiful about your tradition. Yeah, it is. I also, I think the way we, uh, the way we approach, um, church and, uh, the bishops and the priests in the Eastern Rite and in the in, in the Orthodox tradition in, in, in particular is very different than what I see, you know, in the Catholic faith. Um, there is a great deal of respect and reverence towards our priests. Mm. Uh, not to say that Catholics don't respect the priests. Absolutely, we do. Uh, Catholics do. But with us, it's almost you. It's almost something sacred. Sure. And yeah. um, you know. I, that's how I approach also when I'm in, in in my business. You know, I am so honored when I speak to a priest because we are thought that, um, you know, the priest represents God on earth. Right? Yeah. And yes, they are fallible. They are human beings. So we understand that they are not perfect and they make mistakes. Right? But it, it is still something for us that is very holy and so when, our, you know, in, in the Orthodox faith, priests do marry, they have families. Um, so, so that entire family for us becomes something quite, I don't want to say sacred, but something that we put on a pedestal and that we respect mm. and look up to. Um, and I, I think that it teaches young people about respecting um, whether it's you don't want to call it you know call it authority or something that is you know representing a higher good a higher yeah. goal but it also at the same time requires the clergy in our church to hold themselves to a higher standard absolutely so it really it, it really goes both ways from from the you know the aspect of, of people are looking at clergy in this different way, looking at clergy to lead us, and then the clergy to step into that and meet those expectations. So what I'm saying is we're, we don't become, oftentimes, we don't become friends with our priests. You know, priests are an authority for us. Mm. Um, and I like that. I like that very much. I, I, I feel that we need to keep that tradition because in these days, there's no authority anymore. That's know? very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So, and even, even for me, like I have several priests that I would consider friends that, um, you know, it, it's, it's also, it's kind of funky too, when you're in, in a, in a role of leadership within the church, um, whether it's because I've worked at parishes or at the diocese, it, that also cultivates a different dynamic. But I try to always maintain, even with those priests that I would consider friends, I always maintain a reverence for who and what they are, um, you know, for it's me, a, it's a relation of, of respect. Yes, respect exactly. Um, yes. Like I never, I would never start to be so familiar with a priest friend of mine that I would start to just call him by his first name without saying father first, you know, yes, for me, absolutely. when I came back to faith, a foundational part of that was um, the, when I started to understand apostolic succession and, and the, the importance of um, holy orders and and to me why apostolic succession and holy orders are literally the only reason to believe in God at all for me due to my intellectual journey to get away mm -hmm. from there and then back to there. Um, and so I just have this heightened appreciation for the dignity and value that our holy orders bring. 
um, both in our priests, in our bishops, but even even our deacons yes. in a lot of ways. It's obviously different Absolutely. there, but um, yeah, exact. That is exactly what I was referring to, and you put it together so beautifully that there is a reverence and respect, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't be friends with them. Of course, yeah. you, you want to be friends with them, but at the same time, you always want to remember what their position is. Yeah, and um, and, and that also asks them. Uh, to, it places the burden on them mm -hmm. to, you know, step into that and yes. really uphold the, 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 you know, our expectations of their position. Yes. Amen. So you can be friends with them, but you can't be too familiar. Right. Um, yeah. And I, and I like that. I think that is really important, um, especially in the modern times that we're living where, mm -hmm. you know, all you, you know, even even the presidency, the idea of the presidency, which we used to reverence so much and respect so much, it's it's become, you know, broken. So right. I think we need to have authority figures. Yeah. And again, they're not perfect, but yeah. we, we need to understand and accept that. I completely agree with you. Um, okay, so that was uh, a bit of a, of a longer speed round than normal, but I think that it was... It was rich with important and beautiful, uh, beautifully articulated stuff. Thank you so much for that, Adita. Um, all right. Now, the next thing we got to we gotta knock out here before we start to talk about Select to Give is something that the people have been clamoring for, something that the people have been insisting that we bring back, and that is our Catholics, Catholic Weird Stuff segment. Let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, today we're going to be talking about the Catholic weird stuff we do as Catholics when we baptize our infants. Gee, Nick, why do Catholics baptize their infants? I see it happen all the time, but why do you do it? The infant doesn't even know what's happening. The infant won't remember it. Well, I got to tell you what, I was baptized on January 10th of 1988, and I absolutely do not remember it so you're totally right about that but that is irrelevant it doesn't matter that i don't remember it because that is not one of the things that is required for one to be baptized uh nowhere in scripture or in tradition uh is it ever indicated that you have to have recall of your baptism it just has to have happened we're going to dive into some scriptural evidence for why we do things the way that we do um and uh just as a starting point i just want to clarify like why is this even a question okay we have a lot of a lot of people in this year Christian family of ours, you know, even within its uh, some speculate 33,000 denominations, some speculate 50,000 denominations. Is there really a number of the denominations? I mean, you know, the moment that someone starts preaching from his garage and starts, you know, maybe 10 to 12 people in front of him in folding chairs at his garage, that's another denomination. So I don't know how many denominations there are, but you know what? At the end of the day, we're all one family. Um, it's one of the things I love, actually, about being Catholic. It's, it's actually something that drew me into it even further when I was getting excited about it. I read in the catechism that it doesn't even refer to Protestant Christians as like, uh, you know, others, right? It doesn't refer to them as other churches. In fact, it doesn't even acknowledge that they are other churches because, you know, St. Paul says in the New Testament that there is one faith, one baptism, one family of God or something to that effect. I guess I should have had that up and open, but, it, you know, it's this idea that like we are one body, you know, I, I liken it to to a, a, a literal family, a household, right? And you have the head of the household that's like got these rules because they, they know what's good for us. And then you have you have a teen that's like, meh, 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 I don't like your rules. So I'm going to I'm going to go start my own existence without you. Um, you know, the head of that family never stops seeing 
their their uh, teenage offspring or young adult offspring who's like left the house. They never stop seeing that kid as, as their son or daughter. Um, so to the head of the household, to the, to the parents, that child of theirs is always a part of their family. Um, there's just a fracture in the family, but they're still connected in that family bond. And I love that about the Catholic Church. So anyways, that's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about infant baptism. So in those, in a lot of the non-Catholic denominations um, or Christian traditions, there is a practice of a kind of redefining what the significance of baptism is and b not doing it unless the person is of the age of reason and old enough to have chosen christ themselves and then the baptism is actually like secondary to them just accepting jesus christ as their lord and savior so to a lot of the non-catholic traditions the accepting of jesus christ as your lord and savior is the moment that you're saved and then the baptism is just kind of a nice thing to do afterwards. Um, what's interesting, though, is that there is no scriptural precedent for that way of doing things. Um, any scriptural precedent there is related to getting saved is pretty much done the Catholic way. So I'm just going to give you a little one-two one, punch here on a couple examples. Uh, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus in the dead of night, and Jesus says to Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born anew, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Also, um, why, Nicodemus, why would you go there? Obviously, he doesn't mean that gross. Uh, and then Jesus says, Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Unless one is born of water and and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. What did Jesus mean when he said that? Well, he probably meant what he said, regardless. Uh, whatever he whatever he meant, he meant it when he said it. Um, so the second thing I want to go to here is in First uh, Peter, uh, in chapter three, verse twenty through twenty-one. Peter says to us, "God's patience waited in the days of Noah, during the building of the ark." in which a few, that is, eight persons, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, okay, two things to note there. Number one, the first passage we read was Jesus literally saying that you have to be born again of, of water and spirit to be saved. So here we have Peter literally saying baptism now saves you. And the thing is, this is not like a Catholic translation. It, it is a Catholic approved translation. Um, the, the Revised Standard Version, Second Catholic Edition, um, is, is one that if you read at the beginning of it, um, it basically talks about how the bishops have approved this translation, but it is not like explicitly in its origin. Like it's, I know that it's a close cousin to the ESV, the English Standard Version or something like that. Um, but my point is, like, these words, baptism now saves you, is literally in even Protestant translations of the Bible. Like, this is not a Catholic-specific sentence. Um, baptism now saves you. Explicitly in the New Testament, from Peter, the first pope himself. A second thing to note about that is he uh, connects it to the story of Noah and Noah's family. So in, in the story of Noah and the Great Flood, the Lord 
purifies the planet by removing all sinfulness through that flood. And Peter here, Pope Peter I, is making the connection with the great flood that like the waters of the flood that cleansed the earth, baptism now cleanses your soul. Baptism, so being baptized by water, saves your soul, cleanses you of original sin. It's a beautiful connection to make, and but it's very worth noting also. Connecting it to the story of Noah is very interesting. Did anyone in Noah's family other than Noah have explicit conversations with God where they themselves volunteered or told the Lord, yes, I accept this ark as my salvation in this flood? No, it was Noah. Noah was the one having little powwows with the Lord, making that ark, and telling his family, yo, we're all getting on this ark. I'm making a choice for us as a family to be saved. It's very, very interesting that Peter would draw this correlation because in a very similar way, I and my wife, Alina, we made a choice to get our kids onto the ark of salvation in baptism. We didn't ask them their opinion. They were too young to speak anyways. We were just like, yo, we getting saved as a family. So you're getting on this ark. We're going to baptize you when you're an infant because we as a family are a Christian family. This household is a Christian household. Noah made the decision for his family. Alina and I made the decision for our family. And then there's uh, one other example I want to reference here of very specifically something like that happening. Uh, So I meant to have highlighted this ahead of time, but I didn't. It is in Acts of the Apostles, chapter 16. Oh, I did highlight it. I'm on the wrong page. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 25. uh, About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They were in jail singing uh, hymns to God. Uh, What would you do if you were in jail? Would you sing hymns to God? Anyways, and suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, probably samurai style. I'd I'd like to envision it that way. Uh, Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. He thought he was going to get in trouble. He couldn't believe he let this happen, so... Let's just end it right here. No. Paul cried out with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And he called for lights and rushed in, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Men, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him, and to all that were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once with all his family. So, all of that to say, you know, the leaders of a household, we have that right to say, this is a Christian household, and we're all getting saved. And, you know, Jesus himself, he says, bring the children to me. And, you know, some will speculate, oh, but what, you know, maybe he just met the people that could walk. And he didn't just mean that. I think very later in the same passage, he he makes a specific reference to carry the ones that can't walk or something like that. Whatever. Bottom line is, like, we, we get fixated on these ideas that are unscriptural. Nowhere in Scripture does it say you have to vocally say, I accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. All we see is get baptized. We see examples of entire households getting baptized because of a choice from the, the head of the household. Uh, Noah, right? 
So that's that's what I got for you. Adita, any thoughts on that? Well, it's interesting that you talk about uh, baptism of young children because, you know, in the Orthodox faith, we say Christianed, um, and it is recommended that a child is Christianed uh, when they're very young. My children were Christian when they were not so young. Um, they were, well, they were still young, but not babies. And um, my older daughter was, I think, at eight, and my younger was three at the time. And, you know, we believe that you're really not welcome and, you know, welcome by Lord into the heart of the faith until you are Christianed. Mm. But the reason I decided not to Christian them early, my husband and I was, as you said, the head of the family. So we, we, we sat with my parents and we said, we want the children to remember, mm. you know, being Christian because when they're babies, they don't remember. And it's such a, important part of our faith and of Christianity and starting them on, on, on the journey that we felt that, you know, they, we don't want them to be teenagers, obviously, but yes, we want them to remember. So my eight-year-old definitely remembers, and she talks about that day. Uh, even now, she's now 30 years old and mm -hmm. married as a family of her own. The, my younger daughter remembers very little. Right? She remembers that you know, she was fully emerged in the basin and that, you know, it, the water was really cold and that she had to get all dressed up. But she remembers the act. She doesn't really remember this, why, why she was Christ, mm -hmm. uh, christened. So, you know, it, it's interesting that we we make the decision to Christian babies. Um, but I for my family, it was important for our children to remember being christened. Mm -hmm. Do I understand correctly that in the Orthodox Church, um, you do all all three sacraments of initiation at the same time? Yes. So absolutely. that includes if it's a baby that they, they also receive Holy Eucharist and they get confirmed all, all at once? Yes. So, so that to me, it, it does create a different dynamic. It doesn't mean that you can't do it when they're babies, but for us in the in the Roman rite, for example, um, we spread that out, and so there are occasions that they do remember. So, like Absolutely. first Holy Communion, right? Yeah. But so we don't in the Orthodox faith, we do not have that. Yeah, so so that is a distinction for sure. But ultimately, you know, there is absolutely validity in, in the heads of household discerning that they want to do things a certain way. It's not like you have to baptize your baby. You know, if you're even as, even as a Roman Catholic, you could just hold off and do things the same way. Um, the, the bigger issue to me is when those who are not Catholic or Orthodox, you know, looking from the outside in, when you see infant baptism as as a practice and you misunderstand it so much that you accuse us of heresy or of being unchristian or whatever based on that practice when when to me there's no scriptural foundation for such an accusement uh, or an accusation and in fact quite the contrast to there's plenty of scripture that supports it uh, and and even just tradition in general so mm -hmm. um yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's a really cool other other perspective on that. That's really beautiful. It is. I just want to go back to something that, that you talked about, uh, about head of the household. Um, you know, if you look at the Bible, there's always a head of the household, and that head of the household makes decisions for the family, and they're always the best decisions for the family, and it takes taking into consideration how it's going to impact everyone in the family and what's best for the greater good. Mm. And we've moved away from that mm. uh, in modern times, but I think our faith teaches us that it is important to have that 
uh, trust in the head of the household. Um, And that is something that, you know, in the Orthodox faith, we're we're taught very much that, you know, there is a head of the household. and, And of course, the modern family, the dynamics of the family has changed very much. But that is not something we we should change, uh, you know, because it is something that ha- you know relates very much to to who we are as Christians and you know to the scriptures. It's very present in the Old and the New Testament, and um, I think it's something that I was brought up in a in a in a family where the head of the household was recognized as my father, um, and it is something that. In the modern family, you know, with all the things that are going on, we still have to have that understanding that there someone has to be the head of the household. Just like you have a head of a company or head of a country, or there, there, there needs to be a leader mm-hmm. in the family. I appreciate you bringing that up and talking about, you know, baptism and how that all relates and how, you know, you make the decision for the children. The children are not too young to make their own decisions, but you make the right decision because you know that this is what needs to be done. And um, you exercise your right as the head of the household. Yeah, absolutely. And I also find interesting in in some non-Catholic, non-Orthodox denominations that there's a a practice of, of dedicating the baby um, which I, you know, to me, when, when I observed my, my first baby dedication, uh, when I was, uh, when I attended one for the first time, I found it to be really interesting how so much of the language did touch on a lot of the principles behind why we baptize our babies if we do. Um, but there was almost this like resistance to, to go all the way with it. And, uh, you know, a lot of it is like, we're going to raise, we, we, dedicate this baby to be raised in a Christian household and that we're going to do things. Uh, we're going to help them meet the Lord and stuff. And to me, it's like, Hey, let's, let's call a spade a spade. If they're going to be a Christian, let's make them a Christian. You know. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I just found that interesting, but we can move on now. All right. That was beautiful. Thank you, Adita, for your contribution to today's Catholic weird stuff segment. Um, okay. So I want to get into this Select to Give. When my team and I were looking at this Select to Give organization, um, like everyone on the team was like, they are doing such amazing stuff. Um, so I just want to kind of do a little overview and then anything you want to um, t- expand on or touch on, feel free to. Uh, so you're basically, you're, it's a nonprofit organization, correct? Correct. Right. And, and you take donations um that all go to uh, education, uh, mental health. Uh, is the Hogar Nino Dios? Is that uh, is that like? Uh... It's an orphanage. Okay. For yeah, an ab- abandoned children or children without parents, but these children have severe disabilities. Okay. And then uh, share the bread. That's um, towards local families in the Holy Lands? Correct. So when we have pilgrimage groups in the Holy Land, they go into the homes of the Christians of Bethlehem. They're welcomed into the home for uh, sharing a meal, dinner, Mm -hmm. and they uh, encounter the Christians in their own homes. So Mm -hmm. they see how the Christians there live, how they practice their faith, what they eat at the table, what the dynamics of the family 
Zara, and it's a beautiful way for you know, our American pilgrims to connect with the Christians of the Holy Land. There's always someone in the family that speaks English. Mm-hmm. Um, we ask them not to cook anything spectacular, not a feast. We, we ask them to prepare a regular meal, that just a little bit more of food. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful way to spend two hours. And one of the things we hear all the time from the pilgrims is it was too short. Mm-hmm. It's a two-hour meal. But when they come, first, in the beginning, there's a little bit of trepidation because the pilgrims are like, oh, I'm going into someone's home, into a stranger's home in a foreign country and how is this all going to play out am i going to be allergic to the food do i like what they're cooking and so on it turns out to be one of the greatest experiences of a trip where there's so many incredible experiences and again you know they come back and they say this was great but um it wasn't enough time we we charge fifty dollars for that experience and all of the money goes directly to the christian families that's so beautiful and then on top of that, you have uh, different women's empowerment uh, initiatives. So you're empowering Christian women entrepreneurs. Um, you have uh, you you award ten micro grants. Oh, you have awarded ten micro grants uh, in the last five years to support women to purchase equipment needed to start or expand their businesses. Um, it, there's just there's so many things here. And then the current stuff uh, related to COVID-19, where you're supporting the Christians in the area, economic hardship in the Holy Land has increased um, the financial, the need for financial support to meet basic human needs for these Christians. I mean, their entire economy there has to be based on pilgrimage. And when COVID-19 hit, it's like, you know, I, I mean, I can relate because our entire economy and our family and in the Awakened Catholic ministry was centered around doing parish missions. And then... And then COVID-19 is like, oh, we're going to have to figure some other stuff out. (laughs) I think, uh, you know, I think we can all relate in some way for us uh, being a pilgrimage company in February, March of last year, everything just came to a grinding stop. Mm -hmm. All the pilgrimages that we had planned uh, and 2020 was supposed to be the single best year ever uh, in our company history. And we've been in business for 33 years. So can you imagine we've been working 33 years towards this 2020 and then it just stopped the groups canceled lots of groups postponed so we're very blessed that our group leaders chose to postpone the trips for fall of 21 and 22 but um the christians of the holy land depend on pilgrimages to survive and they don't have any type of government aid you know they don't have uh, PPP. There is no unemployment. You know, there's uh, there's nothing. So, uh, especially in Palestine, in Israel, it's different. But you know, we're talking about pa- Palestine, and and Bethlehem is actually lo- uh, located in Palestinian territory. So the Christians. And most Christians live in Bethlehem. Uh, you know, actually, the largest Christian city in Middle East is Nazareth, but Nazareth is located in Israel. So, uh, although they're still experiencing hardship, they do have some help from the Israeli state. However, in um, in in Bethlehem, the Christians there have no help at all. So it was really devastating for them. So we had guides and drivers. Sorry, it's okay. <laughs> Um, But we had guides and drivers and hotel staff and restaurant staff. They were absolutely not able to feed their kids. Mm -hmm. Uh, What was interesting, though, when I approached these people, and many of them have become friends because we've been working together for so many years, and said, how can we help help you? What can we do? They would say, Adida, it's okay. Thank you for asking, but God will provide. Mm. 
And I just, I love that answer because they are people of faith. They're people who are very proud and they don't like to ask for help. They don't like to complain about their situation. They, they have no expectations. They accept that they have a strong trust in God and that God will take care of their families. And I'm, when I start complaining about things, I always remember that, hey, mm-hmm. don't complain. You know, just trust God will provide. I've learned so much from these people. So we were blessed to have um, a a fundraising effort uh, called Renew Renew Hope for the Holy Land this past November. We were our goal was to raise $50,000. We raised $80,000. All of the money went directly to the Holy Land because we have no overhead. The people who run the foundation are all volunteers. And in that way, we were able to provide uh, a, a Christmas gift of $500 to uh, over 100 Christian families in Bethlehem. That is so and, beautiful. And other other programs that we support also. But not only is it important to help them financially and economically, it's important for us to keep the Christians of the Holy Land in our prayers and to, 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 to learn about them, to become informed. Right? Because we talked about this at the beginning of the show. Uh, you know, Holy Land is where it all began for Christianity. Right? And now when you go to Holy Land, you meet a lot of Israelis who are Jewish. Or you meet um, Arabs who tend to be Muslim. And then you meet some Christian Arabs who are Christians. Uh, you know, and, and you feel that they're a definite minority um, and there is a struggle for them um, that is constant. It's ever present in their lives. And the struggle is, do we stay here or do we immigrate? Do we go to United States? Do we go to Western Europe? Right? Um, many families choose to stay because this is where they're from. And this yeah. is where you know they want to practice their faith in freedom. They want to uh, have their children grow up in that country but it's becoming increasingly difficult. And so that is why it's important for us to keep them in our prayers and to be aware of their plight and and be aware of their situation and help them if we are able to help them either by going on a pilgrimage or giving a donation. And some people can give $10 and that's fine, whatever you can give. Yeah. Um, But it's important to understand what they're going through as well. Absolutely. It's so huge. And I, I love about Select International Tours. Um, first of all, your your whole staff is amazing, and working with you, um, you, you know, so we much. actually haven't mentioned it yet on this episode. Uh, but Select, you know, uh, we, while you, while we have seen uh, the couple of Select. Uh, you know, sponsor ads now in our episode, you know, we're also partnering with you uh, for our own pilgrimage um, that there will have been announcements for by the time this episode goes up. But, you know, I, I just I love working with your company and I love um, like even when it comes to select to give, you know, you guys put your money where your mouth is like you don't just you don't just say, hey, let's let's raise a bunch of money. People like you guys I, I saw on your website, you guys are matching um all donations up to $50, you know, and so even, you know, even though that when you go into higher numbers, like it doesn't match that, but like if someone were to give 50 bucks, you guys are going to give 50 bucks. Like I just, the the fact that you guys are, are 
not you're you're not just like conceptually invested in this. You're like really invested in this, and it, it matters to you these these beautiful people in the Holy Lands that are, um, you know, that live there that are native to that area, and uh, not just because of you know your business business workings with them, but like, but just because they matter so much uh, to the history of of that place, to to the experiences that people can have there now, and and just because they matter as people, you know. Um, so I just want to I want to applaud you for the work that you as the president of Select are doing, but also for the work that Select is doing as a whole. Well, thank you very much for that. We do. And even this year, when times are difficult for us and we had no income coming in at all, we made that commitment that when anyone donated uh made a donation of 50 or more dollars, we would match it. We would match the first $50. And you know, there were times when things were really difficult at Select International Tours, but we never went back on that promise that we made uh, and our commitment to the Christians of the Holy Land and the foundation as a whole. But also for every pilgrim that travels, even though they may not be donating, but they're just traveling on a pilgrimage, any pilgrimage, could be to Rome or Fatima Lourdes or Medjugorje, it doesn't have to be to, just to Holy Land. We always donate $10 for ev every pilgrim. And so people say, oh, what's $10? But when you, in the good old days, when we were handling four or 5,000 pilgrims a year, that adds up to forty or fifty thousand dollars, so that's significant. Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, now during COVID, things are different, but we we're very hopeful that things will change and pilgrimages will start traveling in the next uh, six to eight months. You know, we're seeing with the vaccine a lot more people being open and willing to consider international travel. Uh, the phones are starting to ring. The, the registrations are start starting to come in much more so now than they have in almost a year. So we're very optimistic that people want to travel and that people are not going to be apprehensive about getting on a plane and going to an overseas destination. But I just want to point out one thing, though, when people say, oh, travel you know you're going to israel israel is so far away and it's such a long trip and what if i get sick while i'm on the trip well what's interesting is that israel is the number one country that in terms of fighting covid they've actually made a commitment to vaccinate their entire population by end of march wow. which is incredible now we're talking about a small country we're talking sure. about a much smaller country than western european countries or the us it's a country of seven million people but still it's a huge commitment yeah. um and they will be, most of our guides and drivers and, and service providers have already been vaccinated. And so uh, Holy Land uh, is expected to be open for pilgrimages in April. And we have our first group leaving on April 10th. We're super excited about that. And so we'll be following that group very closely because we want to see how they do. But um, the Israelis have been very, very proactive right from the beginning. And they were the first country uh, to shut down and prevent tourists from coming in for safety of their own citizens. And now they've made a decision to open up almost a year later. So that means that they're ready to receive uh, tourists and pilgrims again. And they're feeling confident that people will be safe and protected while visiting Israel. So that's very positive news for us, for the pilgrimage industry as a whole. Yes, absolutely. And we ourselves, with Awakened Catholic, uh, we will be going to the Holy Lands later this year. If you want details about that, visit the show notes or just the Awakened Catholic website. It'll be all over that. Um, Adita, where can people find you and uh, if they want to contribute to select to give and, and support the Christian families in the Holy Lands, where can people find information about that? 
Well, Select to Give has a website. They can go to selecttogive.org and learn more about the work that the foundation uh, does and um, the different projects that we support. And they can also donate on the website. Our main website is selectinternationaltours.com. Uh, we also do pilgrimage cruises, so they can go to cruisersbyselect.com. Um, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, so uh, people can follow us and become friends with us. And, uh, you know, uh, absolutely, we'd love to hear from more people. And uh, hopefully people will be ready to travel pretty time, pretty soon. The, amen. That's all awesome. And there will be uh, all of those links will be in the show notes uh, below. Um, so thank you, Edita Krunic. Did I get that right? You absolutely did. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for uh, spending this time with us here at Awaken Catholic and for partnering with us uh, on mission. And um, we're so excited for the pilgrimage we're doing with you uh, later this year. Um, so if, if you're watching, you're listening, and you would like to uh, contribute to Select to Give and the families at the Holy Lands, um, check out selecttogive.org. And remember... Uh, up to $50 select themselves will match your gift. So if you give 50 bucks, it's like you're giving a hundred bucks. If you can do more than that, by all means do the people need it. Um, and then, uh, finally, uh, if you would like to be a part of what makes all of this possible here at Awaken Catholic, uh, please consider joining the Awaken Nation by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate. You could literally be a part of what makes this all possible. And then finally, make sure to check out our new app. Uh, theawakenapp.io is where you can find the download link from you know the iOS app store or the Google Play store for Android. So much awesome stuff happening on the app. I really hope, in fact, that you're watching or listening to this episode on the app. And if you're not, you've missed out on the best way to consume this episode. So any future episodes you consume, do it through the app. Uh, it's, it's, it's really awesome. So many great community features there and so much more. The Awaken Nation members have exclusive uh, access to content uh, within the app as well. There's a lot of awesome stuff there. And um, and then also within the app, there's a sponsors link and you can check out more information about select international tours via that sponsor link. Um, if you're interested in going to the Holy Lands with us, make sure to check that out. That'll be in the show notes as well, as well as all over our website and stuff. So um, please join us in the Holy Lands for a heck of a transformative experience. It's going to be amazing. Uh, our spiritual director for the Pilgrimage will be Father Eric Shield. I have had way too much carbonated water, and I am struggling to not burp into this microphone. So I'm going to let you go now. It's been, this, I've been Nick, and this has been Adita, and it's great to have you here. And we'll see you next time on Awaken Catholic. This show and all media on Awaken Catholic is made possible by the Awaken Nation and the Hollow app. The Awaken Nation is a community of people like you who support all things Awaken for as cheap as a cup of coffee a week and get access to exclusive content. Learn more by visiting awakencatholic.org slash donate.